Matthew 5, 7, we're in a series on the uh, Beatitudes. And tonight we're in verse number 7. Years after the death of President Calvin Coolidge, a story came to light. In the early days of his presidency, he awoke one morning in his hotel room to discover a cat burglar in his room, stealing his stuff. And Coolidge found him going through his pockets, the president's pockets. Now, I guess the Secret Service maybe wasn't as, as diligent back then, maybe not as expansive as it is now. And so he finds the, uh, the cat burglar going through his pockets. And so the president said, uh, don't take that watch because that's got an engraving on it. It's very sentimental to me, so leave, leave that. And so the cat burglar was uh, gathering up other stuff, and President Coolidge said, uh, how come you're doing this anyway? And uh, the young man explained to him that he was a college student. He couldn't afford to pay his hotel bill nor to get transportation back home or back to the college. And Coolidge took his billfold out and counted out $32 for the young man. The billfold had already been stolen, but he talked the college student <laughs> giving his billfold back. He counted out $32 and gave it to the cat burglar and to get him a ticket back to the campus. And he told the burglar, he said, now this is, this is just a loan. You got to pay it back. And by the way, go back out the way you came in so the Secret Service don't see you leaving. Well, the young man had to leave that way, and the story goes that that loan was paid back. Can you imagine? That, I would say, was some mercy. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed, Jesus is the speaker, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed means happy. Blessed means one receiving peace and joy, contentment. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That doesn't say that everybody that you're merciful to will be merciful back to you. But God is the dispenser of mercy, and he will be merciful. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. Lord, help us to understand more about mercy. Lord, it's a, a word we assume we already know about, and yet there are probably some principles involved in it that we have not considered. I pray that you'd help us to open our eyes and open our heart, open our ears tonight, and may the Holy Spirit of God work within each of us to drive home the principles of mercifulness. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's just a short verse that we're going to be focusing on, on tonight. But instead of just gulping down the Beatitudes in one big drink, you know, sometimes we're quick to read over the Beatitudes and say, well, I know what that word means. I know what that word means. I know what that word means. And we just gulp it down. And maybe the whole Sermon on the Mount we do that way. But by slowing down and considering just that one verse, we can savor the flavor 
more than we can by taking a big gulp. Coffee tasters. <laughs> you knew you wouldn't get out of this sermon without another coffee illustration. <laughs> coffee tasters, they, they, uh, take, they'll have some Ethiopian coffee that's ground up and then some South American coffee, maybe Colombian, and then they've got some Indonesian coffee, and they're, they're tasting these different coffees. Now, these are professional coffee tasters, and they take a spoonful of coffee grounds and a little bitty cup of boiling water, and they dump a spoonful in each cup from each one of those origins, and then they stir it and let it sit there for a, for a designated amount of time, and then they take their spoon and dab it in there and sink those grounds, and then they take the little cup, and when they sip it, I didn't know my grandfather knew so much about coffee drinking, but they do it, the professional coffee tasters do it like my grandpa did. <laughs> they slurp it. They say the reason they do that, now they can sip it quietly, but they slurp it because when they take a slurp of that coffee, it splashes little particles, droplets of the coffee all the way from the front of their tongue to the back of their throat. And they can taste all of these different flavors. Now they say, this one's got a little bit of blueberry uh, flavor. This one's got a little bit of citrus fruit flavor. And this one's got a, a little bit of honey flavor. And they go through all these different flavors. Pomegranate seed. I didn't even know what a pomegranate seed tasted like. And so they've got all these flavors of things that I never heard of. Maybe this one's got a little molasses. And some of those coffees will have all of those flavors in it. So instead of just gulping it down and saying, well, that's a pretty good cup of coffee. When Folgers, and, and I like Folgers as far as the supermarket coffee goes, but Folgers, Maxwell House, and 8 o'clock coffee and all of those, they buy different origins. They may have a little Ethiopian, a little Colombian, a little bit of, of different uh, types of origins of coffee, and they grind it all up. To, they roast it together and grind it up together, and so they get a blend of all those different origins. And so then when you taste it, you know, it just tastes like coffee. Well, that's gas station coffee. That's what I, that's what I affectionately call it. <laughs> it's made to please the greatest number of people, and they call it crowd-pleaser coffee because it's got flavors that are meld, melded together that, that appeal to a wider audience than somebody who just likes, for instance, one origin, a single origin of coffee. And so... It probably wouldn't do a coffee taster any good to slurp out of a little cup in the supermarket coffee because it's got so many different flavors of different beans in it, they wouldn't be able to distinguish it. And a good coffee taster can tell you whether it's Ethiopian or if it's Indonesian or if it's Hawaiian. or They can tell all those. Well, when we get into the Bible, we don't want to just gulp down big portions of Scripture and swallow it without dissecting all those little flavors. And that's what we're going to do with this one tonight. We're going to call it Figuring Out the Blessing of Mercy. Figuring Out Mercy. There's some figuring out to do. And we're going to explore this profound wisdom in Matthew 5, 7 that Jesus gave. Anything that Jesus said I think is pretty important, don't you? And he said, blessed are the merciful. And so how do we start by sipping, slurping, this subject, this topic of mercy. Well, first, let's just understand the nature of it. In Micah 6, 8, in your Bible, Micah 6, 8, 
The Bible says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Then in Luke 6.36, we narrow it down a little further, and he says, Be ye, be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. What do we learn from that verse? Be ye also merciful as your Father is merciful. How do we understand that? Well, we understand that is the same way we understand the verse that says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God says to imitate me. You can't be God, but you can imitate God. And the Bible all throughout, from cover to cover, demonstrates the mercy of God. If it were not for the mercy of God, he would have squashed you and me like a bug on the floor a long time ago. God is a merciful God. And he says, because I'm merciful, I want you to be merciful. Are you listening? Be ye merciful. He said, well, is it really that important? Well, to please God it is. And if Jesus felt like it was important, to tell his disciples to be merciful, then certainly we ought to be willing to imitate God's mercy. Mercy is not just an act. It's a way of living. Let me say that again. Mercifulness is not just an act. It's a way of living. Now, in the second place, I've already got through point number one. What do you think about that? Some of you think I can't preach a short sermon on Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock, but I'm going to do it and I'm going to prove it. Number two, the blessing of showing mercy. In Proverbs eleven seventeen, it says, The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. What do we learn from that? If you're merciful, you're doing good to your own soul. But he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. When we avoid being merciful, it's not just them that we're hurting. We're hurting ourselves. That's what the scripture says. Isn't that amazing? That if I don't show mercy, I'm not just hurting them, I'm hurting me. James 2.13 says, For... He shall have judgment with he for he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Well, that kind of fills in alongside the scripture of our text in Matthew five seven. If we show mercy, we obtain mercy. So when we show mercy. We're setting ourselves up for some more mercy coming back the other way. Can I just tell you that mercy is a two-way street? Mercy is a two-way street. I'm not to be just always looking for mercy. All of us like mercy. I want people to show mercy to me. But wait. I'm not supposed to be like the Dead Sea, just the, the Jordan River running into me and it's just all dammed up and it stops and stagnates right there. There is no outlet on the Dead Sea. And you and I ought to be more like the Sea of Galilee, fresh water coming in and fresh water going out. 
There ought to be mercy coming in and mercy going out. It is a two-way street. And when we show mercy, we receive mercy. When we extend mercy to others, we receive a blessing in return. That's why I said, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. You see, if I want to be happy, if I want to be joyful, if I want to have peace, then being merciful is going to increase that blessedness. That's the whole, what the story of the Beatitudes is about. Being blessed. Blessed is the one who shows mercy. Now number three. See there, I'm on third point already. Are y'all impressed yet? I got a lot of illustrations to go along. <laughs> number three. Receiving mercy through being merciful. And, 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 and Psalms 18, verse 25. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. Matthew 6, 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now stop right there just for a moment. I'm going to pull over and park just for a second right there. There's a lot of people who have been hurt that don't forgive and they keep on hurting because they haven't forgiven. And that blessedness, that joy, that peace is elusive. It escapes them. It flies away like the elusive butterfly and they're chasing happiness but they're not going to find it because they've got a grudge. They've got somebody that didn't forgive. Look, forgive somebody and go on with life. Don't get, don't get stagnated and stop just because somebody did you wrong. Have you been done wrong? Maybe you have. I've been done wrong a few times. More than a few. Hey, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you how to not get done wrong anymore. If you want to always just be pleasant and experience everything that's nice, pastor a church. <laughs> You'll never be hurt again. <laughs> We all get hurts, don't we? And there's always people we need to forgive. And when we forgive, we open the door of blessing from the Father. The promise of obtaining mercy by showing mercy is a profound thought. Because this is our human nature. Because we're fallen creatures all the way from the Garden of Eden... We have a certain amount of selfishness bred into us. And I want people to forgive me. I want people to be merciful to me. But it's my nature to not be merciful back. Did you get that? And it's yours too, so don't get too pious. Now you can overcome a great deal of that. It'll still be in your nature, but you can work on it. Are you listening? Here's why we don't gain blessedness. Here's why we don't gain peace. Here's why we don't gain the blessings from God in our lives. Many times is because we don't do anything with what we hear from the scriptures. We say, yeah, that sounds like truth, all right. But then we go about our daily lives and never put it into practice. You know what you ought to do after every sermon? You ought to write down at least a sentence or two and say, this is what I'm going to start doing different because of what I just heard. Does that sound reasonable? 
This is what I'm going to start doing different in my life. I'm not going to be the same person. The Word of God has come to me. The Word of God has challenged me. The Word of God has informed me. And the Word of God has pleaded with me. And so therefore, I'm going to start doing this differently with God's help. And we don't want to go out the same as we always come in. In sending His Son, Jesus, to be born in a manger and to die on a cross and to arise from a grave, do you understand what kind of mercy that was? God sacrificed, listen, God sacrificed His own Son. His own Son. For us. Showing us mercy. Showing us mercy, He put His Son on a cross. Showing us mercy, He allowed His Son to be beaten to be mocked and spit upon, to have a crown of thorns placed on his brow and blood running down his face and whip marks and tears of flesh on his back, nails in his hands and through his feet. He allowed Jesus to go all, through all of that so he could show you mercy. And you don't want to show mercy back? Oh, how selfish are we when we do that? Jesus, for three and a half years, walked the face of the earth and he experienced a lot of things you and I do. And he encountered people like you and I do. On one occasion, in Luke 17, 11, it says, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. They had to stand afar off because they were commanded by the law not to get close to people because leprosy was a huge disease that would eat the flesh right off of your bones. And these men are standing off in the distance as they see Jesus passing by. And they would oftentimes uh, say, unclean, unclean. They had to warn people not to approach them because they were unclean lepers. Here they are in verse 13. It says, And they lifted up their voices and said, Master, have mercy. There's our word. Have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, Unto them, go and show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. <laughs> they were cleansed. Verse 15, and one of them, and one, one, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. And with a loud voice, just as loud as he was yelling before he got cleansed, he had a loud voice again, a voice of praise. He was, loud voice, glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? Now listen to these sad words. But where are the nine? Where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God save this strangers. Now I mentioned that in our 
culture, not just our culture, but it's been this way all along and probably will be till Jesus comes back, that people receive mercy and oftentimes they ignore it and forget about it. Apathy. Nine of these, ten. Now can, you, now, can you just imagine what it would be? No, I can't either. But we can kind of try to imagine what it would be like to be a leper, cast out of your home, not able to go home and, and sleep in a bed in your own house, and, and to be able to hug and kiss your own wife, and to be able to set your children on your lap and play with them. They had to be set apart in a colony away from their own family, from their friends. Now Jesus comes along and heals them. Nine of them look down and say, wow, that's pretty neat. Well, I'm glad I'm not sick anymore. Woo, I can get a job. Here I go. And off they go. And they're just happy-go-lucky. They don't think anything about turning back. They don't think anything about thanking Jesus. They don't think anything about looking for somebody else to show mercy on. It just says that they went about their way and one came back to praise God. I wonder how many times if we kept a daily journal, I wonder how many times we would write down the times that mercy has been shown to us and we just went merrily along our way and didn't thank God and didn't think about showing mercy to somebody else because like the Dead Sea, we want to take things in, all the goods things, and not give anything out. Mercy is a two-way street. We're finding out more about mercy when we think about it. What about the cruel servant in Matthew 18, 23? Oh, this one makes you want to cry. Matthew 18, 23. Therefore, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants and when he began to reckon one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents now that was a lot of money friend <laughs> a lot of money this was kind of like a Jeff Bezos or a Steve, Steve Gates what's that guy's name Bill Gates, Bill Gates. Yeah, I knew Steve didn't sound right I was thinking Steve Jobs I guess <laughs> Um, there's a lot of money. This guy's, this guy's got the dude, he's got the money. He says, and when he began to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his, and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment be made. What they would do is if you owed more than you could pay and you couldn't, didn't have any hope of bringing it up, they'd, they'd sell you off into servanthood and maybe sell your whole family and you'd have to work it out Kind of like a prison sentence, only you're in hard labor trying to work it off and it may take your whole life and never get it paid for. He said, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his family. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. He's saying, Lord, if you'll just, if you'll give me more time, I don't want to lose my family. I don't want to go into servanthood as a prisoner. Just give me a little more time and I'll pay you off. Verse 27, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with what? 
compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Well, well that was a pretty good deal, wasn't it? When he forgave his debt, that means he didn't owe it anymore. But the sad part comes in verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. Now that's penny-ante stuff. And laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. (coughs) And he would not. But went and cast him into prison till he, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. They felt sorry for this guy. Then his Lord, after he, verse 32, then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors that he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts if, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. <coughs> See how this two-way street works now? We go back to Matthew 5, 7, our text verse, and he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This fellow got what he wanted, but he wasn't willing to pass it on. He didn't believe in a two-way street of mercifulness. He was cruel. (coughs) And again, I think the best way for a principle like mercifulness is to see it illustrated both in Scripture and in regular life. I'd gone to Bible college and got out Oh, in 1984, got out of Bible college and went back to uh, <coughs> work in Mount Pleasant for Brother Sneather and his principal of the Christian school and associate pastor. And before I got there, <coughs> we were my wife and I were hoping we could get a house to live in, and so uh, Brother Sneather found us one for sale. And, and, uh, and we knew about the house. We'd seen it before. We were still in Oklahoma City. We, I think we bought it sight unseen, didn't we? And we just told him to go ahead and tell, tell the guy we'd take it. And they were working out arrangements for the financing and everything. And uh, Lucius Bray owned it. And he'd sold it before and, and had to repossess it. And then he was ready to sell it to us. And so we bought it. And uh, a, a period of time passed and we needed to, uh, we needed to move. And so we were, we were really... We'd left Bible college. I, I needed one more year to graduate. And so uh, I wanted to go back to Bible college and finish out my four years, just one year to go. And we were tied to that house, didn't have the money 
to go out there and, and finish up that year, but I really felt like that's what the Lord wanted us to do. And so I went to Lucius Bray, the man that had sold us the house. We, the way the, the um, deal worked was that we paid him, or he paid the down payment for us, and, uh, or he knocked off $10,000 off of the price of the house uh, and got it down low enough that the bank would finance it, and so we owed him that $10,000 in cash. That was the down payment he was receiving as an IOU. And uh, so we owed him on that note $10,000 and owed the bank the rest, uh, or whatever it was. I don't remember if it was $10,000 or it might have been less than that. But we were wanting to, we were wanting to move and we, we couldn't sell the house. We tried to find buyers and couldn't find anybody to take it. And so I finally told my wife, I said, I'm going to go talk to Lucius and see if he'll buy it back from us. Well, you know, that works about like somebody sell, you know, a car lot sells you a car and then you go back and say, well, can I sell this back to you? They don't want the thing back. They were selling it to you in the first place. And so I went back to Lucius, and I, I said, man, I'm wanting to go back to Bible College, Lucius, but we can't afford to go unless we sell this house. And he said, well, Rick, he said, I, I understand your, your plight, but he said, uh, I don't want to buy the house back. He said, I, I've already repossessed it once, and I don't want it back again. He said, uh, you, just, you just need to sell it. And I said, well, I can't find anybody to buy it. It's, everybody says it's just a little bit too, too expensive. And he said, what are you wanting to do? And I said, well, I want to go back to Bible college. I want to serve the Lord. I want to give my life serving the Lord. And, and Lucius was a Christian, Presbyterian. Who would have thought about Presbyterian being a good Christian? But he was. <laughs> and so he said, so you want to go back to Bible college and serve the Lord? I said, what I want to do, but I can't do it as long as I own that house. And that's why I'm asking you to buy it back. He said, well, I don't want it back. But he said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. He said, that 10000 you owe me, you don't owe it to me anymore. That ought to lower the price of the house enough that you can sell it. Back then, you could, you could buy a house like that for thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. And so 10000 knocked off of the price was a huge deal. Now it would not even make a down payment, I don't guess. He said, you just forget about the 10000 you owe me. He said, I want you to go serve the Lord. He erased the debt. As long as he was living, I used to go by there every, I think it was every Christmas, and uh, just stop in and tell him how much I appreciated him, loved him, thanked him for what he did for me, and I'd take him a little gift of some kind, and, and just an expression of gratitude because he had been more than merciful to me and I thought the least I can do is be thankful for what he did for me. Mercifulness. Jesus walking along in another time and there's a widow. There's a funeral procession going down the road. Widow following along behind uh, the funeral procession. They're carrying the casket, the beer, uh, B-I-E-R, the Bible calls it. It's like, kind of like a stretcher and have a real casket and so the the body's lying on that bier and it's being carried by probably six men. I don't remember now, but they're carrying it along and the widow's weeping. She's lost her only son. And Jesus encounters that funeral procession. And he stops and looks at the boy, dead body on the, on the bier. And he said, uh, son, I say unto thee, arise. He found out he was the only son of that widow. He said, arise. And he raised that boy back to life. Now, do you expect maybe that 
demonstration of mercy might have made that woman, that widow who had one son, that might have made her the happiest woman on the face of the globe at that moment. Whoa! I mean, she wasn't expecting mercy. She wasn't expecting nothing but a hole in the ground to put her boy in. And along comes Jesus and says, I'm going to give you your son back. And boy, arise up, set up, eat some gravy and biscuits, and everything's going to be okay. She got her son back. Jesus was busy. I mean, he was trying to get everybody in the whole world saved. He's trying to establish his kingdom. He's got people to see and things to do, but he took time. Listen to me. He took time to stop by a grieving widow's funeral procession and give her her son back. He had lots of other stuff to do. I mean, the boy's dead. The woman didn't expect him to come back to life. Jesus could have walked on by and nobody would have thought anything about it. But as busy as he was and as, as important affairs as he had to tend to, he showed mercy. And because of that, he made one woman the most blessed woman on the face of the planet. Mercifulness. Well, I heard the story. Chad will know if, if the ruling is right. He's a basketball officiant. And so the story goes that a high school basketball player's mom had passed away. And it was the day of a big game. And that night, the boy, even after his mother had passed away, he went to this big game. He knew the team was depending on him. And he got there late. And the officials um, would have called a technical because he came in late. And so everybody there knew the boy's mom had passed away that day. And even the opposing team was, they were okay with it. And, and they were trying to bring the boy into the game, and, but the official said, no, it, it, it's going to be a technical. We've got we've to go by the rules. And so after the officials persisted, the coach of the opposing team asked for a volunteer from their team to shoot the free throws. The captain of the team said, I'll volunteer. And he walked up to the free throw line to shoot the free throws against the team that they were opposing. He took the ball and threw it about three feet and it fell and hit the floor. Next shot, the same thing. Didn't even get close to the goal. What did, they, what did he do that for? And what did all those people, what, they wanted to show mercy. Mercy is not just an event. It's a way of living. And it's not just something we do on a special occasion, maybe at Christmas time, although we do that. Old lady came in here, Brother Denny, and I came in here the other morning, Sunday morning, wasn't it, Brother Denny? And a lady was standing out there, and he said, this lady would like to talk to you. And I always, it always makes me a little nervous when <laughs> before the service and a stranger wants to talk to me. I usually know what it's about. And so... She said, I'm on my way to Iowa. My son is beating me up. She showed some bruises. I don't know if it was true. She said, I'm trying to get back to Iowa, and uh, I, I, I don't have the money to get back there. And we talked a little while. And I said, how much, 
how much gas have you got right now? And she said, well, the tank's full right now. I said, well, we, as a church, we just we decided we don't want to just hand out money uh, to people because we can't really account for it that way. I said, now, if your tank was empty, we'd put you some gas in. But I, I don't, can't take the church money and just give you money. And she, uh, she kind of hung her head and started to walk out the door. And I said, I wish there was more we could do for you. And she wasn't being belligerent or persistent like some do you know she was just going to leave I said wait a minute I said I, I can't put you in a tank of gas but I, I got my own billfold I said I can't give the church's money to you that's just the way we do we, know, we don't hand out money but I can give you some of my money <laughs> and I gave her a $20 bill and I said now you don't need any gas right now but you're going to need something to eat maybe you can buy a couple of Big Mac meals with that on the way back and she went out a happy woman now, whether she's lying or not, I don't know. There's a lot of people that do around Christmas time. But I, I started not to give her anything. But then there was a little voice inside of me that said, Scrooge. <laughs> now, that's a one-time thing because it's kind of Christmas. But that ought to be, not that we ought to hand out money to everybody that comes along, but it ought to be, mercifulness ought to be a thing that we practice every day. It's something we practice with our friends and with our family. Are you merciful to your own family? Sometimes we're, we're nicer to strangers than we are our own family. We talk nice to strangers and then yell at our family. We hand money to strangers, but we won't give it to our family. I owe you $20, honey. Mercifulness. What was Jesus talking about? He said, if you show mercy, you'll obtain mercy. Now that doesn't mean I'll never see that woman again <laughs> that got my $20 bill. And I usually don't give cash to somebody like that because oftentimes they're going to buy a jug of wine or another hit of drugs. But in the moment, I... I felt like just doing that. Sometimes we're friendlier and more helpful to those that we don't know than we are those around us. I'm pretty thankful. Some of y'all gave me some gifts and cards and stuff like that for Christmas. I'm thankful for that. That means a lot. It's, it's great at Christmas time. I think we ought to have mercy year-round, don't you? Matthew 5, 7 reveals a foundational principle of God's kingdom. His kingdom, one of the characteristics will be that of mercifulness. We ought to be practicing it now. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we love you and thank you for the mercy you showed us by giving your Son to be our Savior. Or probably most, if not all, in this room right now have experienced your mercy and your compassion and your grace. Your mercy kept us out of hell. And your grace gave us a free ticket into heaven. Your compassion meets us on a regular basis as we journey through this life as a pilgrim. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless us because we show mercy and compassion grace to others. I pray you'd help us 
not to be like the Dead Sea, just taking in that which we can get and never giving out like we have received. Lord, help us to be merciful, merciful Christians. 